We're so glad you guys are here. We're in the middle of a sermon series called Identity, where we're just walking through our eight core convictions as a church. This is who we are. This is what we're striving to be. This is, if you will, our identity. Um, as we are laying out, these are the things that we are striving towards. And so we have uh, walked through a number of them already, uh, that we are ruled by God's word. We understand that the Bible is God's revelation to us, him speaking to us, and we are to submit to that. Seeing then what does the Bible lead to? We see the entire Bible is pointing to this one man, Jesus Christ. The Bible is centered on Jesus, and so should we be. His life, his ministry, his teaching, his gospel, it all, it permeates, and it is the center of everything that we do here. Our sermons, our songs, our kids' ministry, our outreach, our missions, everything. It's centered on Jesus unapologetically. Last week, then, we asked the question, well, if we're centered on Jesus, what has Jesus called us to do? What has Jesus told his followers then to be? If we're ruled by God's word, God's word centered on Jesus, what has then Jesus told us to do? So last week, we looked at a verse um, in the very end of Matthew, and we'll be in that same passage this morning. So we'll be in Matthew 28. We'll read it again uh, here at the beginning. We'll be in Matthew 28, um, verses 18 through 20. These are the uh, last few verses of the gospel of Matthew, and these are some of the final words of Jesus to his disciples. And it's uh, commonly referred to as the Great Commission, as Jesus is kind of giving these final marching orders uh, to his uh, 11 disciples who were still with him. So Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus then came near and said to them, them being the 11 disciples, said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we looked last week at this commission that Jesus then tells his followers. And he says, listen, I'll tell you, here's what you need to go and do. You need to go and make disciples. So the center point of your ministry is to make disciples. Not, listen to me, not to make converts, to make disciples. The church, particularly in the West, has gotten really good at creating events and forcing people or trying to almost manipulate people into a decision. And then once the decision's made, a card is signed, a hand is raised, and that's the end of it. That is not what Jesus has called his church to do. Jesus has called his church to go and make disciples. When people make the decision to follow Jesus, that's the beginning of what God has called us to do. We then come alongside, as we saw last week, we say we are serious about our discipleship as we want to help each other follow Jesus. Discipleship being a friendship with a Christward focus. That's what we're striving to. As we are stumbling through this thing called the Christian life imperfectly, that we are here not to do it alone. As we link arms side by side, encouraging each other, helping each other love and follow Jesus better. So that's what we see Jesus telling his disciples, go and make disciples. And that wasn't just to the 11, that was to every single person who were to follow him. So that's what we saw last week. But this week, we're gonna be looking at that same passage and it's the other side of that same coin. So these two weeks, last week and this week, kind of go together. It's like a pair of scissors. We've got two blades of scissors that are going to be going together here. And as we are laying these two out, these are going to be the two things that we as a church are going to be striving, focusing, and me as a pastor will be praying to the end that we will strive towards, trying to hyper-focus on these two things because this is what Jesus has told us to do. And those two things are discipleship and mission. 
discipleship and mission. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Okay, yeah, discipleship, we, we got that, got that last week. But what should that discipleship look like? Should it stay in one place? Is it stagnant? Is it just kind of as it happens? What we'll see uh, today is that there is a, a few words surrounding it that help give us shape and direction. Because here's what's happening here, and this is as it is in just about any situation. You need, whenever a leader comes, you need a strong leader in authority to give clear direction in order for his followers to be able to do anything, the people underneath them, right? So if you're a manager at your work or you're in a job, right, how does that job operate well? When there is someone in leadership with clear authority giving clear direction, that then gives shape to everything that happens underneath it. Things run efficiently. People stay on mission within your company whenever that happens. Right? I even think this uh, past weekend, yesterday, we had a group of guys that uh, all went up to the um, new office space that we just got the lease to this past week. We got the key, so we went in to go and do a bunch of demo work as we're going to be uh, doing some renovations and really making that the, the hub and center point of our ministry. Is this going to be a utility space to be able to use for Bible studies, members meetings, uh, student ministry, uh, kind of all in all right there. We want to make it a comfortable place in which people can come uh, and do ministry alongside each other. But to begin with, we had to knock down some walls and tear down some really bad carpet. And so when we got there, if we just all showed up, eight guys showed up with hammers and knives, how do you think that that's going to go? I will tell you, it's not going to go well. More than likely, a finger or two will be lost. We may have some bad bruising with some hammers that get uh, punched through the walls and hit people on the other side. We may, I'm not saying this happened, it didn't happen, gratefully, because of what we'll get to in just a moment, but we may, we may go and just start taking our hammers, whacking stuff, and all of a sudden someone forgot to turn the electricity off and someone electrocuted and dies. So it goes poorly if people just show up and start doing things. So I knew that I know nothing about construction. I've swung a hammer and I've, I've, I've wielded a knife before, if you will, but I know nothing about construction. And there were two men there who did. Abel and Gary Crawford both were there. And they showed up and I said, listen, you guys know what you're talking about. Y'all, y'all are, are talking and we, the rest of us, we are listening. So you give us direction. And so they stepped in, they had experience, put them in leadership, they had clear authority and they gave the direction for all of us. I said, actually, yeah, don't do that because we actually, yeah, okay, yeah, if you take that down, the buildings will literally fall apart. So don't touch that thing. And that's how we were able then to knock things out two and a half hours, the building's all together still, uh, and it's in good shape. And this is true for any situation. And friends, it's the same here at the end of Jesus's ministry. He is the leader of leaders, stepping in, giving clear authority, as he claims it in verse 18, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then just as a good leader does, he then goes and gives clear direction to his disciples so that we're not going around just swinging hammers through walls and electrocuting ourselves. He's saying, no, here, let me tell you very specifically, here is what you need to do. All authority has been given to me. I'm stepping in as the leader, and here's what you need to do. Go and make disciples of all nations. And so as we ask the question, what should our discipleship look like? We see here in this command in verse 19 that our discipleship should have an active pace and a global trajectory. Our discipleship should have an active pace and a global trajectory. Now, where did I get that from? In verse 19, look at verse 19, the very beginning, there's that word, go. Go. Jesus doesn't look at his disciples and go, hey, just keep fishing or hanging around Galilee or just whatever, and this will just kind of happen. He tells them at the very beginning, you've got to go. 
There has to be an active pace to it, an intentionality, a plan and a direction and a forward motion. You have to go. But not just going, Jesus then also tells them, go and make disciples, but where? Of all nations. So Jesus tells them, yes, go. You need to be active. You need to be going. You need to have intention. But as you go, make sure that your perspective with the message and the mission that I'm sending you on has a global trajectory to it. Understand the heart that I have in redeeming a people is not just limited to a city wall or to a certain country. It is the entire nations. This has been my promise from the very beginning in Genesis 12 to Abram that is now coming to fruition as you guys are going to be able to go and fulfill this mission and will one day be fulfilled in Revelation 7 when every tribe, tongue, and nation is gathered around the throne. This has always been my plan, and I need you guys as followers of me. If you're going to follow me, you have to understand that this burden of global missions falls on every single person that chooses to follow me. This is not limited to just specific people who say, I'm gonna be a missionary. Friends, this falls on every single one of us. Our discipleship, should have an active pace and a global trajectory. It is meant for every single person who steps forward and says, I am going to follow Jesus. Charles Spurgeon, an old uh, English minister, was preaching a sermon in uh, 1873, and he put it this way. He said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Why? Why would he say that? Because he knows, he's read these verses and understands that Jesus has called every single person to go and make disciples of all nations. And so I know probably in the back of your minds right now, you're thinking this because I think the same thing often. I hear that and I go, okay, God, I see that, but do you know who you're calling into this game? Do you know who you're putting in? This guy, and I know that I am messed up. You sh you, you're calling me. I can't go and make disciples of all nations. I have a hard time going to bed at a decent hour, waking up without being just, I'm, I'm a, let me just tell you, the, the worst parts of me come out in the first 15 minutes when I'm awake. There, you, you see this glimpse into the depravity of my soul right when I come up. And often I don't remember it, um, which, is, which is both good and bad, but uh, Leah gets the brunt of most of it, my wife. Um, and there is this part of me that wakes up and I'm just, and I'm a different human being. And I'd go through my life and I know there are times it's hard to read the Bible, it's hard for me to put that discipline around to be able to consistently and systematically try to read through the Bible. And I feel guilt from that, both in my life as a Christian and especially as me as a pastor. And I know if we're honest, and hopefully we have a culture in which we can, can begin to be, that the believing the gospel can begin to create a culture in which we can be honest about our shortcomings. Not that we will just stay there, but so that as we're honest, then we can help encourage one another to continue to move forward. Not expecting perfection, not trying to put forward this perfect Christian life, but being able to say, I am imperfect, and Jesus knows it, and he's calling me into the mission. So here's what I need you to understand, is that while you may feel like you are not worthy to be called into this mission, yet if you feel that, you are exactly the person that Jesus wants to go. Why would I say that? Because I want you to look at the people that he told originally to go. These 11 guys, you think they had their acts together? Friends, three days before this, they had deserted him. 
They'd left him. They were with him for three years, saw his miracles, sat at his feet at the greatest sermon ever told at the Sermon of the Mount. They saw him say some words to a tomb and a guy walked out of him. They were there for all of it and they left him. And a few days after they had deserted their rabbi, Jesus came back to them and he said, come here, you guys are the ones that I need for this. Because, and we'll see next week, because God knows that whenever people know that they are insufficient in their own power, that they are weak, that they are broken, that then drives them to depend on God and his spirit. And those are the people that turn the world upside down. It's not people that have their lives together. It's not people who read through the Bible 18 times a year because they're just awesome. It's people who go, I know that I need God's help because left to myself, I can't do it. And so this morning, if you're beginning the sermon with going, okay, I understand, go and make disciples, but that's not me, it's exactly you. God wants you. And so he's calling us this morning, two things, two points I want us to look at. He's calling us to be a missionary people and a missionary church. A missionary people and a missionary church. We see this call is to every single one of his followers. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, having an active pace and a global trajectory. The first, he's calling us each individually to be a missionary people. He's calling you into missions. Now that could look in two different ways. First, it may be God calling you to where he's called you to be. Right? asking you to be a missionary person where he has called you to be in your life right now. Missions doesn't just mean picking up your life, moving overseas and devoting your life uh, to the spread of the gospel in a country where it may not be known. That certainly can mean that, but it doesn't have to only mean that. So I wanna begin in understanding that this um, verse and this command in chapter 19, again, it's known as the Great Commission. This is not the great suggestion. This is not the great opinion or favor. This is the great commission. Jesus saying, go, you've got to go and do this. So this falls on every single one of us. This commission is meant for every one of us. And the reality is, is that most people in this room will not lift up their lives, move overseas and devote their entire life to global missions. It might mean that, but the reality is that most of us won't. And so my concern is at the very beginning of a sermon like this, people may just kind of write it off and go, oh yeah, well, that's not really me, so this doesn't really apply to my life. I feel like God's calling me here to be a stay-at-home mom or maybe uh, work with air conditioning or work in a doctor's office or in sales or in schools or in education. And yeah, so I guess, I guess this sermon just doesn't apply to me. No, it absolutely applies to you. And here's why. Because God is calling each of us to have a missional mindset, a missional perspective of our life. As we then go, as you go, make disciples. And so whether it's the jobs you have, the neighborhoods you live in, or if your kids are on a sports team and you begin to get to know other families there, seeing each one of those pockets as your mission field. And it begins to rework the perspective you have as you go, okay, God is calling me to be engaged in mission. I'm not outside of Jesus's call and his commission. He's calling me no matter where I am. If I'm cutting hair or I'm selling houses, if I'm in a restaurant or if I've retired, it doesn't matter. Each one of us, if we're following Jesus, he's calling us to be engaged in mission and to have that kind of perspective. It says, let me enter into the space where I am, where God has currently called me to be 
and let me live on mission. Let me look through my life with missional glasses that I begin to see relationships and conversations, neighbors and dinners, conversations over a coffee pot, all redeemed and used for this mission and this gospel to go forward. God is calling you into it. And so in a very practical way, again, what that means is beginning to just look. It's not saying go and add a bunch of stuff to your calendar, right? Because I know every single person in here is probably already strapped as it is. What I'm trying to get you to see this morning is take the things that are already in your life and begin to look through it with a missional perspective. You have to go eat. I think, I think that's kind of a human thing. We all have to eat. And as we do it, look to go to perhaps the same restaurant, become a regular at a place, get to know one of the servers. You all have nice hair, so I assume that you get haircuts. And as you go and you develop relationships with the person cutting your hair, be praying for them, get to know them. You're gonna share the gospel with them, share with them the hope and the love that God has given you eventually. Develop those relationships that you have. You may say, listen, Caleb, that would all be great, but I'm at home with four kids and I'm trying, I'm just trying to make it to the end of the day. I go, listen, that, again, what, what I hope that you see is that is the first mission field that we have in our homes. That's why last week we did parent commissioning. We want to send and commission our parents into the mission fields of their homes to go and make disciples of their children. It is long, it is mundane, it feels very ordinary changing diapers every single day, having two-year-olds scream at you, trying to figure out and Google how to get crayons off of the wall. But friends, there is an eternal weight that is happening in every single one of those. And it builds up over 18 years as you are loving and pouring yourself out for your children. And whenever you begin to understand that your great role in your child's life is not just to get them to behave or to be contributing members of society, but you begin to see that God is calling you into the mission field to go and make disciples of your children, it begins to give some sense of meaning to that mundane. And we understand that the places where we are, God is calling us to go and make disciples and loving people as they are, not just seeing them as projects, right? This is one of the dangers I've seen with some of some people that as I've grown up in the church and have seen this, people go, okay, I'm supposed to go and make disciples. So I want to go and make friends with people so that they'll come to church and become Christians. My neighbors, here we go. I'll invite them over for dinner, have them over a couple times. Then be the third time I have them over. We'll share the gospel with them and Listen, if your only goal is to get them to come to church or become a Christian, then whenever they look at you and go, oh, you know, that's actually not for me, then you will stop caring for them. And that is not what God, God has called us to do. He's called us to love him and to love people. And so what that means is, yes, we want to invite them. We want to share with them the hope that we have. But if they go, ah, oh, that's not really for me, then we continue to love them. We continue to have them over for dinner. We continue to pray for them and we continue to love and care for them because that's what God has called us to do. This is not a project or a checklist that we go through. This is a lifestyle in which God is calling us into. And that's what God has called us to be, to go, to make disciples, to have an active pace and intentionality to our lives. You may say, okay, well, that's great, but what about the global trajectory? Right? You said our discipleship is supposed to have an active pace and a global trajectory. How does that coincide? Well. 
One, I would say, making sure that here at this church, we want to have a global perspective. And so we have missionaries that we have sent across the world. And so let me tell you in a very tangible way, it means just consistently praying for them, knowing what's going on, praying for them consistently, having them on your minds. If you signed up for newsletters that they have, a very practical way to have a global trajectory is to respond to their newsletter. I was talking with Rich, who's currently over in Africa, and I said, before he left uh, in January, I said, Rich, you know, we're, we're a small church. We're just getting started. So it's not like we have tons of resources to give. What can we do that's helpful for you guys over across the world? And it struck me, he said, Caleb, the most helpful things that people do is to just talk to us, to let us know that we're on their mind, to communicate with us, to reply to an email. He said, you just, you won't believe. We'll send our newsletter out to hundreds of people and not get a response back. He said, I know people are busy and that's fine, but whenever anyone responds, even with just a, so great to hear from you, he said, it changes our life over here. And we know that we're not alone. So let me tell you a very practical way, just hit reply if you get an email from anyone here in this church and communicate with them, pray for them. So there's a way in which you can be here and be sending That's the way in which we have a global trajectory is that we are either going or we are sending or we are disobedient. Those are the options that we have as Christians. And so we have come together to to try to push this mission and this gospel out. So being a missionary people to where God has called you to be. But second also, being a missionary people to where God might be calling you to go. So I don't want to remove the possibility in which there are people in this room that I've prayed for this week that I hope will not be here in five years because God will be sparking something in your heart that says, I, I think God is maybe wanting me to go somewhere. There may be people in this room who make the decision to say, we're going to pick up our family and we're gonna go and join a team in Italy or in Africa or in the Caribbean islands or somewhere else around the world to be able to go and make disciples. Because we know, just like Paul wrote in Romans 10, that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call if they haven't heard? And how can they hear if no one's gone and preached? And how can preach if no one has gone? How beautiful are the feet are those who bring the good news. And there may be people here this morning, and I pray that there are, that are beginning to maybe feel something in their souls that say, maybe God is calling me to have those kind of feet. And we as a church will pray for and celebrate that because that is what our hope is, is to be able to be a church that sins, that goes. And so maybe you're here this morning and you're beginning the process, or maybe sometime in the next few years, you'll be going through the process of God calling you to pick up your life and actually go and to be somewhere. Because here is, my, here is my concern with a lot of uh, perspective within the American church in particular today. There is a, a strain of Christianity, which is not Christianity at all, which is known as the prosperity gospel, which will put forward, okay, well, if you, if you love Jesus, then Jesus will give you money. He'll make you healthy. He'll make sure that your life is comfortable. Friends, you don't, you don't see that anywhere in the New Testament. Nowhere does Jesus say, hey, pick up your comfort and come follow me. He says, pick up your cross and come follow me. You see the hope that we have in suffering. That's what's laid out for us in the New Testament. The expectation is to suffer here in this life, but knowing that there will be a time in which God will one day come and wipe away every tear. That is our expectation and our reality. 
And that's blatant, it is clear, but there is a far more subtle strain of that that has made its way into, I think, a lot of American and Western churches today. It doesn't outright say, yes, if I follow Jesus, he'll give me everything I want. But it more so, it feels more like this. Okay, this is what I want my life to look like. This is what I think will make me happy. I want to move forward with this, and I'll just kind of add Jesus in on the side over here, sprinkle him in on top. I I want, I think this will make me happy. I'll go for it, and Jesus can kind of come along for the ride and, and help me out some. And we don't put Jesus right there at the very end, the goal that we have that says, this is what I know will satisfy me. This, he is the one I know that will bring joy to my heart that nothing else in this world can. He is the one that will truly make me happy. And I'm following him and everything else falls by the wayside. Friends, that is the Christian walk. And everything else that we put there in that place will disappoint us no matter how great it may seem to be. And so if we put forward our jobs and say, oh, my job, if I just got that promotion or that office, then I would be happy. We put that forward, and if we believe that, then what happens is is that idol begins to tell us something. That idol of our work will look at us and say, now go. Go and make as much money and get promoted as highly as you can. And that then dictates the rest of our life, and everything else falls by the wayside, our family, our relationships. And we go, because if I just had that, then I would be happy. Maybe it's with our families. We put our families there at the very end and say that if I just had my family all together or I lived close to my family or my children never left, then I would be happy. And families are outstanding, but they cannot give us what Jesus has promised. And if we place that there, then we let everything else go by the wayside, what God is calling us in to be. As our families say, go and just come close and let's all live together and make everything else fall by the wayside. Or maybe it's stuff or materialism. We go, man, if I just had nicer countertops. Goodness, if I just had a better trim level of that van. Listen, I understand, right? We are currently right now considering taking the plunge into buying a minivan. And as we look through, I'll tell you what, there's a big part of me, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, right? I grew up, I grew up and, and you wanted the big truck with the pipes or the, the sports cars. Like, that's, that's what I want. Right now, there is a large part of me that, that craves the, the vacuum that's there in the back of the car. Is that not unbelievable? The Cheerios that are spread throughout, there's now this vacuum that's attached to the car that can get them. Is that not unbelievable? And I, I, that, and I go, that's what I, oh, if I just had the vacuum in my van, then I would be happy. If we just had a nicer home, if we just had better stuff, then we would be happy. And what that will look at us and it will tell us, now go, make more money and get more stuff. Well, uh, well, I don't have the money for it. Well, great, go into debt to get the stuff because then you'll be happy. And friends, it will always let us down. But there is one who is calling us to follow him that says, if you follow me, I will give you joy and joy to the fullest. And I'll show you my love for you, express on the cross as I've gone and died and your place. 
I've purchased your salvation and your life and I'm giving it to you freely and I will take the blame for you. I will stand in your place in all your imperfections and all of your shortcomings. I know them and I see them and I want you to come and follow me. And when you do, you will find the happiness that your soul has been longing for. And let me tell you what I'm telling you now to go and do for the rest of your life is to now follow me and go and make disciples. And when you do that, you will begin to live the life that I've designed you to live, the life that you were created for. And for the first time in your life, you'll find something that won't let you down. This is what Jesus is calling us to, not our lives with Jesus on the side. It is him and him alone that we are following. And so that's us in our life. But God is also calling us to be a missionary church. He's calling us as a church collectively to care and have an active pace to our discipleship and a global trajectory. Now, again, the way that that plays out is we want to be a church that is sending people. We want to be a church that is praying for people. We want to be a church that is praying for other churches, not just around this area, around this country, but around the world. We want to keep our view global on this entire earth to see what God is doing. So very tangibly, it means that 10% of everything that's given to us, we give away. We give away to church plants, to missions, because we want to be a church that is generous, that is saying, we don't just say this from the pulpit, we say this with our pocketbooks. We are saying that we believe in this so much. We want to give this much of what was given to us away to be able to see this come to fruition because God is calling us to do this. This is our mission, to go and make disciples of all nations. We want to have an active pace and a global trajectory. One of my favorite authors was an Anglican Bishop John Stott who died a few years ago. And he wrote this one time. He went and visited another church in England and he wrote about this in his experience. He said, I remember some years ago visiting a church incognito. I sat in the back row. You know, they, the people often slip in the back row there incognito. And I'm not going to tell you the name of the church because you won't be able to identify it. It's thousands of miles away from here. But when we came to the pastoral prayer, it was led by a lay brother because the pastor was on holiday. So he prayed that the pastor might have a good holiday. Well, that's fine. Pastors should have good holidays. Second, he prayed for a lady member of the church who was about to give birth to a child that she might have a safe delivery, which is fine. And third, he prayed for another lady who was sick. And then it was over. That's all there was. It took about 20 seconds. And I said to myself, this is a village church with a village God. They have no interest in the world outside. A village church with a village God. Praying that we as a church, as we come together, would not be so inwardly focused to think that all of ministry happens here through these chairs, through these doors, that we are a small part of a global picture of what God is doing. And we want to come alongside, not just in what we pray for or what we give to, but always keeping in our minds that reality that we are a part of this global story that God has been telling throughout history. And so one of the ways that we want to do that today is every song this morning that we sang and will sing is from another country, not written in America. Because believe it or not, we are not the only Christians that this world has ever seen. We are a part of a family, a global family. Right now, 
And we see that we are headed towards eternally a global family from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so we want to try to remind ourselves here in this life to take part in that as much as we can, to be a part of what God is doing. So what we're not going to say is let's go and just make up whatever programs or direction we want to as a church and pray that God will bless it. We go, let's look at the word and see what God has said he will do and what he will bless, and then we'll go and be a part of that. And so what we see God moving from Genesis 12 to here in Matthew 28 to Revelation 9, to Revelation 7, 9, is this global trajectory. And so we say, God, let us be a part of that story. Give us the perspective and the heart that we can come alongside and pray for brothers in China who just got arrested because they met in a church. Help us pray for Christians in North Korea who are currently being persecuted or in Afghanistan or in Somalia. God, that we know that not everyone has the type of freedom that we have here and that we would feel that burden as a church. Because friends, a church that ignores global missions is a church that ignores Jesus. And may that never be us. And so I want to close with, with this thought here as we end, uh, as we are going forward and we hear God calling us into this mission. I want to make sure this is extremely clear. God is not desperate for your help. So what this scenario is not, it's not Jesus on his knees begging, crossing his fingers, going, oh, I really, really hope that they'll come and help because without it, I don't know what I'm going to do. Friends, God, the sovereign designer and holder of the universe, utters sounds and things are created. God, the eternal and uncreated king of kings, whose throne is in heaven and whose footstool is the earth. God is the holy one who causes angels to praise for all eternity. Friends, God is not crossing his fingers hoping to acquire your talents. He's not an army recruiter trying to get people to enlist, not sure what's going to happen if he doesn't. I like to look at it more like a divine take your kid to work day. God is working throughout this world. He is the one that is moving. And what we hear in the Great Commission is this eternal God bending down, looking at his children saying, hey, come to work with me. Let me show you what I can do. God wants you to go to work with him. Listen, the sovereign, uncreated, holy God does not need you but he wants you. And he's inviting you to take part in his mission, to live the life that you were created to live and find the joy that you have been longing for. It isn't in finding your best life now. Friends, it is in losing your life, just like Jesus has called us to, and living for his glory as you go and make disciples of all nations. Let's pray.